to pray for us that the Lord will open our hearts and our minds for the word that He wants to bring today and bypass this material atomic being and talk through His Spirit with us. So, Father, thank You for allowing us the opportunity to in public worship You and declare Your name. Holy Spirit, I ask that You, when we go into the Word today, will You please guide us, show us where we are hiding in Your upside-down kingdom, and give us new perspectives on how we should approach You and approach our lives. Holy Spirit, we are totally vulnerable in front of You right now. And may Your Spirit reign here today so that when we go out, Your aroma will touch the world and lives will be changed. Everybody says, Amen. All right, so I've got some slides. So what's the first slide there? Uh, it's not that one. <laughs> Are we winning? All right, but anyways, for as you are now aware, our current theme and series for the past few weeks have been the upside-down kingdom, and in the past first 10 books, we've seen that Jesus did things really quickly. The pace was extremely fast. There were miracles, there were signs, there were wonders, and even exorcisms, Sounds scary, right? But in chapter 11, everything slows down and focuses when Jesus rides on a donkey into Jerusalem and people are yelling, Hosanna, save us, save us. Today we're going to stop at Mark 12. And the theme for today is the ways we pretend. So, you can start opening your Bibles at Mark 12, please. And then we realize that Jesus is now in a city, and as He comes in and people are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus has cursed the fig tree and He's thrown over tables, He's really upset a few people in the city. He's really messing with the status quo. A city run by people known as the Sanhedrin. Now, who is the Sanhedrin? It's the Jewish council consisting of elders and Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and high priests, and they really run the city. But Jesus was really getting tired with this group of people and really frustrated with them. A group of people that Jesus then starts to confront face to face. So let's open our Bibles at Mark 12, and we're going to start reading from verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went to another country. So he didn't stay, he left. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Not all, just some. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He still had one other, 
the beloved son. Finally, he sent to him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, ah, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the landowner do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's pause there for a moment. This is very much like a good Western film, right? It's not called Tombstone, but it's called Cornerstone. This summer, Jesus upsets the elders. (laughs) And like any good Western movie, Mark in chapter 12, with this first parable, sets the scene for things to come. And in this parable, we also get to meet the characters of this story. So, Let's play a game. Guess who are the characters? And I've got some sweets. Who gets it right? So, who can guess who's the landowner? All right, well, who is he? Are you ready? (laughs) Awesome. Next one. You can push the button. God the Father. All right, who are the tenants? Uh, Try again in the story. Not now. Don't future impose yourself into the story. The Sanhedrin. Who said Sanhedrin? Yes, you said Sanhedrin. All right, ladies first. (laughs) Awesome. Who are the servants? Ah, there we go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good job. All right, and the son of the owner? Jesus, the cornerstone. Who said Jesus first? There we go. He's, you've been asking, uh, raising your hand for every question. <laughs> Good job, Jesus. All right. So in this opening scene, Jesus confronts the Jewish leaders on how they pretended to care about the owner, how they pretended to care about his servants, how they pretended to care about his son, and how they pretended to care about the land, the vineyard, but only in the end abusing and destroying what rightfully belongs to the landowner and his son. This parable deeply upsets the Jewish leaders because they are well aware that Jesus is referring to them in this parable as the wretched tenants and how their ancestors wrongfully rejected and killed the prophets of days gone by. One of these prophets famously said, Isaiah The Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on mere human rules they have been taught. They were living in pretense, only doing the things of Yahweh, but in their hearts, in public, but in their hearts, living so far from him, and like cowards, the Jewish leaders walk away quite upset and getting ready for multiple attacks on Jesus, just like a Western movie. (whistles) And then we get to the first scene and this first attack. 
the Pharisees and the Herodians. Let's read further from verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. They're buttering him up. (laughs) They don't really believe this. Why would they want to trap him? Then they ask the question, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to him, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the thing that are God's. And they marveled at him. They were actually just in awe that he just went like... In this first attack, we see two sets of people. The Pharisees and the Herodians. Two groups of people who were total different spectrums of the political and spiritual sphere. Now, the Pharisees believed in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then the letters of the prophecies, which wrote about miracles, and specifically about the coming resurrection of the Messiah. Like the scribes, they were also well-known legal experts. So they didn't only know the law, but they own the, the uh, religious law, but they also knew the commercial and the civil law. Hence the partial overlap with some members of the Pharisees being scribes and some of the scribes being Pharisees. They also had very conservative perspectives in spiritual circumstances. So they're very conservative. And in politics, they were also against the rule of the Romans. On the other side, we have the Herodians. Now, we heard of the the story of King Herod. So Herod was actually the king of Judea, and he was a Jew. But all the other uh, um, states in Rome had prefects, except Israel, or except Judea. They said, Oh, they've got a king, so let's make King Herod the prefect. So, and this, this was Herod Antipater I. He was a Jewish king appointed by Caesar to rule over Judea. In general, they also wished for political freedom, but they were comfortable with the fact that the Romans chose them to have status and locally rule in Judea. In essence, they were Jews who publicly submitted to the Roman Empire for personal gain. They were the liberals of their time. They would tell the people, Rome is here to stay, get with the program, the way of the future is Rome, just stick with us like the EU, we're not in separate states anymore, it's a European Union, get with the program, pay the taxes, it's good, we've got good education, good military, they will protect us. So that's what the Romans, uh, the Herodians thought, even though they wished for political freedom. Now you might ask yourself, what is the big deal then with taxes? Why would the Pharisees object to the payment of taxes? It doesn't concern them if the people of Israel did pay or doesn't pay. But we have to go deeper than that. This is a a case, a quesi. This is a quesi van godlikheid. What is the first commandment in the Bible? Thou shalt not have any other gods. And the second one? You shall not make engravings of these gods or have idols. Make statues and engravings of them. 
Now, what you must understand is that Caesar considered himself to be a god. And so did his subjects and followers, including some of the Herodians. And we must know that Caesar's face was in that coin, the denarius. That is the face of Caesar. So they made an idol of him. So in this case, not only if you pay taxes and you submit to Caesar, it means you are breaking the first two commandments of the law. You're breaking the one, you will not have any other gods. And you're breaking the law, you will not make more idols or engravings. And that is why it's such an important question. What we see here is that Jesus then totally throws the boat over. He says, they ask him, Jesus, what are you going to do now? Should we pay taxes or should we not? But Jesus sees how they were hiding in their pretest, wanting to arrest him if he chooses either. And then he says, let's do both. And it blows their mind. What we see here is that both the Pharisees and the Herodians were missing the point. They were hiding their pretense in politics. But in front of them sat the king of the universe, (laughs) alive. And they just totally missed it. They were disguised as religious leaders to pretending to honor God with their politics and ultimately missing the true God that was sitting right in front of them. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Now you might be saying, yeah, Eugene, we get it. The Herodians, the Pharisees, they were bad people. We understand that. But let's take a little bit of a look at our own hearts. Where are we hiding our pretense in politics? We might not have as polar opposite poles as they have in America, but we do have our own discrepancies of politics in South Africa. Whom of you have considered immigrating? A lot. You people will say, this country is going to the dogs, man. My kids have no future here. I know dozens of people who have immigrated. Only three of the dozens were sent by God. The rest of them were running from the politics, hiding their pretense and serving God in politics. Maybe you watch the news and social media and have caught yourself saying, the post-apartheid government is destroying this country. Before 1994, we had clean water, we had electricity, and the roads were beautiful. But we must know, pre-1994, the majority of this nation were oppressed and disadvantaged. The majority of this nation were oppressed and disadvantaged. And I don't know about you, I would rather be living in a dumpster as a free man than a, a prisoner in a palace. What did Jesus come to do? He came to set the captives free. It is blatantly evident that Jesus cared more about restoring people's relationships with the Father than restoring the country of Israel. This must be our mandate too. Maybe you don't care about government politics, but you might have an opinion about social politics. 
Me and my girlfriend, we love each other so much. We're moving in together. We're going to try this marriage thing out. We'll marry one day, but now we'll sleep together. We'll try everything out. You know, you have to try the car before you buy it. Test drive it. Then you will say, stop living in the past. This is the way of the future. Waiting that long is old-fashioned. Don't do it. It's 2022. Come on, get to the program. Or you might be very conservative. And when a homosexual couple comes into this, this uh, congregation and they sit there, people are like, whoo, ish, why are we a little bit uncomfortable? Never mind the pornography or all the things I watch this week, and when they walk in, I get uncomfortable. Before they're allowed to do anything in this church, they must stop what they're doing. They must be holy before they're allowed to serve, before they're allowed to attend small groups, before these things. Be holy. But when I look at Jesus, I saw the opposite. Jesus loved Mary the prostitute first and then showed him the Father's heart. Jesus loved Zacchaeus, the um, promiscuous tax collector and all these brothels first and then showed him the Father's heart. We're pretending to hide in our politics, social or governmental, and we're still missing Stop being fooled. Stop pretending to be close to Jesus through your politics, whether it be governmental or social. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Attack number two. The Sadducees. Let's open the Scripture. And the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. Important point. And they asked him the question, Teacher, Moses wrote that for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, that man must take a widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There are seven brothers. The first took a wife, and then he died and left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, The woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife shall she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, nope. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. I really love that last line. You are quite wrong. Would you ever walk into Kumbuka and see a mug, Mark uh, 12, verse 19, you are quite wrong. (laughs) Here's my friend. There's your gift. You are quite wrong. (laughs) Love it. Now, to understand this passage, we need to know who the Sadducees were. Now, the Sadducees were the Jewish elite of their time. They were very learned, very well educated, lived in Silver Lakes and in Linwood, and they knew everything. They had college degrees. They were extremely clever, and they were against things like miracles and the resurrection and things like that. That's why it's important 
that they come in the beginning and say, ask oh, Jesus about the resurrection, but they don't even believe in the resurrection. You can see they want to trap Jesus, these professors, these doctors, these scholars and philosophers. They totally relied on their knowledge and cleverness to determine their elite way of life. And it is a very ironic and arrogant, it is very ironic and arrogant for the Sadducees to come to Jesus and talk about the resurrection. They weren't actually there to get an answer from him. They were just posing a riddle to Jesus to show how clever they and how learned they were. And they wanted to public try and to show how absurd the notion of resurrection is, therefore humiliating Jesus. You see, the Sadducees' pretense was hiding in their pride. And in Jesus' response, he shows them not only do they not understand Scripture, but they've downgraded, they've studied so much that they've downgraded the power of God. God is no longer a being, but just a story on pages, and the principles are there. So they become so clever that there is no God. But in the same day, they're missing God right in front of their eyes, sitting there. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on mere human rules that they have been taught. So how does hiding in my pretense, hiding my pretense in pride look like today? Ah, I'm so tired of the one-to-one and the purple book. Can't the church come up with some new materials for me to consume? I want to learn more about Christ. I want to go deeper. I, 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 me, me, me. Earlier this year, I went to Equip One. Now, Equip One, for those of you who don't know, is training that every nation gives to people. It's like Jesus 101. It's the foundations. So I went there, and I was very eager, and then I see some of the preachers and the teachers, and they're like, hey, Eugene, what are you doing here? Are you preaching? Which session are you preaching? And I'm like, I just came here to attend. And they're like, what? That is so, you should know this already. And I'm like, sorry, I feel a little bit embarrassed. But I did feel God sent me there to go. And in the first session, God just blew my mind and shook my foundations and turned it around because I was pretending to know certain things. And I didn't submit because when I learned it, it was younger. Another way of hiding in your pretense, in, hiding your pretense is pride, is selectively submitting yourself to certain leaders placed above you. And when you don't agree with the one guy, you say, I'm going to switch my algae. I'm not going to go to this one. I'm going to Willow's now. Oh, no, Doxadeo. Ah, shofar, yes, we can praise the Lord the way I want to praise Him. But never... Did your relationship with God go around what His will was for you? It was about your values, your wants, your needs, your desires, me, 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 me. Another way of hiding your pretense in pride is making big life decisions without consulting God. The job you have, the house you live in, the car you drive, what you studied, where you're going. Have you consulted God? Or did you make your decisions out of fear, security, money, pride, accolades, pressures from parents. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Then comes the third attack. 
the scribes, a.k.a. the lawyers and the learned ones. Let's read further. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, they asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes say to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. It's funny how in public the the scribe's opinion was immediately swayed towards Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I agree with you. You are amazing. <laughs> and then Jesus responds, you're not far from the kingdom of God, but you're not in it. Amperdor. My brother always did this uh, riddle with me. Which is better, amperrak or ampermis? And I would say, amperrak. And he says, nah, je hebt gemis. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Ampermis. <laughs> amperrak in this case. We read further in verse 38. And Jesus, and in his teachings, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who walk, who like to walk around in long robes and like greeting in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense, pretending, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. It is in this moment. In this moment, it's apparent that the scribes were hiding their pretense in what? Religion. In public, they do what is needed to be seen, but in private, they do what is worth condemnation. They too are living far from God. Now, you might be coming here every Sunday, serving on an iServe team, going to connect groups, going to algae, going on an outreach and a reach week and growth weekends and, and, and all the events that this crazy church puts on our calendars. Doing everything the church expects of you. But when you go home, life goes on as normal, as if God doesn't exist. At my home, you don't make time for God. You'd rather watch YouTube, go on Instagram or Pinterest than sitting at His feet, hearing His heartbeat. And you are not far from the kingdom of God. Amper rock. Net net. Amper in the What does Jesus want? We read in verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and, they, and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, 
has put in everything she has, all she had to live on. Jesus wants everything. He absolutely wants everything. Remember how we started in the beginning of Mark 12. This owner is leasing his land to the tenants to watch over. Yes, it is us. And he's sending his servants to come and collect fruits of the land. What is fruits? It's disciples. Only to be beaten, killed, and chased away. Don't let today go by. And rejecting the words of the prophets. This is an opportunity to lay down your pretense and invite Jesus into your vineyard, into the areas of your life you are still pretending. Funny enough, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, who was also shunned and rejected by the Jewish nation, once said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Where are you pretending? In politics, in pride, in religion, maybe somewhere else. Maybe you've given your heart to the Lord, but you still have to give Him everything. What are you holding on to? What is the Holy Spirit convicting you of right now? Is it worth it? Amperak. I want us to reflect. Just take two minutes and just think, what's that one thing that stood out today for you? That one thing that is a little bit krapperig now. And then I want you to turn two-two towards each other and confess it like Galatians 6 says. Confess these things in front of your brothers and sisters. And in Matthew 18, God says, if you ask things, I will open it and close it in heaven as you ask God of it on earth. So take two, three, four minutes. And when you're ready, confess it to your partner next to you or your friend. 